Hello and welcome to the Clever Kids podcast, uh, a podcast where uh, three brothers typically would talk about topics in pop culture that you normally probably wouldn't care about if you have not watched them. But we are going to tell you about them anyway. We have strong opinions about all of them. Uh, normally this would be headed by the oldest brother, Tyler, uh, but he is taking a hiatus because he understands that his more talented and better looking brother should probably get the stardom at least every now and then. And so Jeff, I will be running this episode uh, visited by my uh, older brother, Brian. Yeah, I'm just guest starring apparently instead of here every <laughs> fucking week. The hell are you talking about visited? Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that's been here every week. So I, I think sure both of you guys are show. just long-running guest stars. I'm pretty sure the reason why we have visitors listening every week is because of my beautiful voice. I, so I, I don't know. I've got a fair straight. bit of coworkers. How much feedback have you been given to the show? I've got a fair bit of coworkers that, that talk to me regularly about my performance here. Yeah. Yeah, you got him in the door, and I get him to stay. That's how this. That's how this works. Okay, so for everyone listening at home, I'm here. Don't worry. You don't need to turn this episode off. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, for you this week, we are talking about Cobra Kai, uh, season four, season well, four specifically. Show in general, but season four is the newest. Yep, uh, it's a topic that Brian and I have. Are you know both well versed? We've watched all of the episodes, all of the different seasons. Um, and, and we've talked about this a little bit off pod, but, uh, and we'll cover some other adjacent stuff too, or maybe not so adjacent, but other stuff in pop culture that we are keeping up to date about and give our opinions on those as well. But let's, uh, let's jump into it. Um, what did you think of Cobra Kai season four? I just want to thank you first for not bringing up the Cowboys officially as a topic of conversation. I just want to say <laughs> I'm battered and bruised and thank you. So anyway, um, the show, uh, season four was, in my opinion, extremely consistent with what we've got so far. I think it was just another um, season of the same. Obviously, we've got you know the running uh, theme, which is what do we what do we say? Local karate terrorizes small town. Yep. Um, I I find it funny. I think that is a funny concept. I think it's it's point poking fun at. The, you know, the original movie that exploded back in the 80s and, you know, it's become this like cultural, um, you know, this iconic film that, you know, people to this day, you know, re- refer to. Um, and I think the show does this incredible job of just having this underlying tone of look at this ridiculous uh, narrative. Now, they do a good job of keeping that humor going while also like bringing in other things like Johnny Lawrence is just your your classic like boomer like unaware of modern trends and and they just did a, they just had another um good run of jokes in this one about him like trying to recruit girls to the to his dojo and like you know him just coming off with this creepy guy and and not being aware of it like there, there's just stuff like that that's just absolutely hilarious um so i guess my general thoughts before we dive deeper is um they stuck with the same formula it's been working in the past season and uh, seasons of the show and it just resulted in consistency and an enjoyable season again. What'd you think? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely parts of the show that I like and parts of the show that I don't. I mean, I jumping straight off of, and we're going to go full spoilers here for everyone um, from this point on. Um, you know, I thought the first season was phenomenal. I thought the second season was almost as good as the first. I thought that the twist at the end of the second season was the highlight of the show so far. Um, the, the very last moments of season two are just, you know, riveting. Um, I thought season three started to get, you know, it's, it's kind of like that natural evolution of, of shows or movies where they, they feel the need to continue to get bigger. And like throughout season one and two, you have the, the um, I think it's Amanda LaRusso, uh, the, the mother uh, of the LaRusso family, who continues to be this voice of reason, who continues to be this person that does not understand or grasp why karate is important and, and uh, why people need to feel the need to continue to participate in it. And why they're getting uh, all of these second chances, especially when it comes to like breaking the law, um, just because they're practicing karate. And so she's constantly saying like, nope, that's illegal. (laughs) You don't do that just because you want to go do some stupid karate revenge. Um, And yet at the end of season three, like solid, like a quarter of the way through season two, there's a point where one, someone ends up in the hospital. Uh, It might actually be the season two opener. And Amanda literally says like, this cannot happen again. No more breaking the law. Like the next time something crazy happens, we're getting the law involved. We're not kicking, kicking people in the face. Um, And yet at the end of season three, the worst thing happens out of the show 
her house literally gets broken into a literal breaking and entering an assault on a bunch of children of which we see no ramifications uh which is surprising given how hard of a stance she takes in in season two and three suddenly like this terrible offense is taken and she's just like slightly miffed about it um and uh i don't know and and there's other things that continue to happen in in season four that she shouldn't be okay with given her character arc but they they kind of have to tone her down in order they for the totally show to tone continue. her down they totally toned her down it's the same thing like and at the end of the day i think that maybe their mistake was having her so ramped up at, at one point because you know in the real world you can't just have you know or kids can't just go smashing into people's homes and creating giant fucking karate brawls and in you know breaking and entering and and assaulting people and nothing happened so you know for her to have that approach early on was realistic and logical in a show that does not have like does not live in realism or logic you know what i mean like there's i'm going to over the course of this conversation, I'm going to point to other characters who don't really have a lot of logic in their character. It doesn't make sense. It's hard to believe. You have to just accept it for what it is um, to keep the show going. But at the same time, she's definitely one of the biggest where she like, you know, is almost looking at the screen at times being like, look how fucking ridiculous this is that these two grown ass men can't get past their childhood karate right, high school, rivalry. High school rivalry, right. Yeah. And, and then at other times, like she's fearful of this high school girl that's getting in front of her with, you know, like was challenging her about fucking groceries or whatever. I'd be like, like, dude, you lay a finger on me. You know, fast. I will call the cops. Like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, right. and she's just sitting there like, oh, I'm so afraid of her. And it's like, like they told her, as soon as I saw that, like, I know they kind of toned that, even that down a little bit where she kind of started to become like a, a mentor to that girl. A positive influence. Moment, Pos- but yeah. Tori, I think Tori. Yeah. She started to try to become a positive influence. <clears throat> but the moment I saw that she had like this fear of, of Tori initially, I was like, okay, it looks like they're kind of ramping her down as like the the logical one because uh, it's not logical for a grown woman to be afraid of a like a right, junior old yeah junior high school chick that does karate like that's ridiculous and yeah. it it was a total tangent from who that character has been the whole time the mom of who, who she's basically represented the audience who has said the whole time this is fucking ridiculous she was recognizing it and now she doesn't she's like totally one of the people that's engrossed in this whole karate taking over the valley storyline speaking speaking of inconsistent characters the next character i'd want to talk about is hawk um for me personally i liked hawk's growth from season one to season two he kind of um uh paralleled miguel's storyline miguel's was the karate kid at the beginning of season one and season two arguably you could also make an argument for robbie Keane, who we'll talk about in a minute um also being the karate kid, but Hawk was definitely one of Miguel's friends who also got into to, to karate with him and definitely took the, the, the power that being good at fighting gives you and, and used it to turn his own world around and, and go from being a victim to being a bully and uh, goes back to the old homage of, of power corrupts. And, uh, you know, he definitely went down a dark path for the first three seasons where he became more and more aggressive and more and more angry until he gets a literal minutes to midnight character redemption where after breaking his best friend's arm and doing the, you know, irreversible, unthinkable, uh, he sees that same best friend getting beat up and decides to save him and switch sides at the last second. Um, and it's wild how quickly he is accepted by everyone else. Um, well, they did have a little bit of hesitation at the beginning of the season where they were like, dude, you've literally burned a bridge with everyone here. You, like you've been a dick this whole time. Like we're not just gonna accept you back, and it took him kind of accepting being ostracized, and then taking uh you know some humiliation for them to really kind of bring him back into the fold. So I would argue that they didn't just like they could have fucked that up worse. I think they did acknowledge the fact that like he went way off the deep end, going bad, and then for him to come back and be good right away uh, was unacceptable. So I, I think they did address it. Although they could have spent longer on that or given him a little bit more of like the uh, being like some kind of Ronin like outcast guy that's doing his own thing for a while. And instead they, they just they accepted him back in. But I don't know like how much more time you could have devoted to that. You know what yeah. I mean? At some point you needed to bring him back in, especially because the entire storyline revolved around Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang or whatever not being able to get along and not being able to coexist. And Miyagi-Do needing a strong male representative. 
and he ended up becoming the only guy they had that had any kind of real chance. Right. I, I definitely would have liked just a little bit more of an attention to the fact that, like, I would have liked, so in, in this season, he gets pretty humiliated where his iconic mohawk gets shaven um, forcibly, unconsensually, non-consensually. Um, non-consensually, yes. And uh, he has to, you know, live with this, you know, now, now visible, un- unconsensual, non-consensual um, appearance change it's non-consensual and, you can just stick with that one yeah uh, it's not interchangeable there it's non-consensual i i, I am getting it all right motherfucker mm-hmm. um and uh he goes through this like big humility arc halfway through and I, I definitely think that if i was writing the character i would have him fall back on anger as a coping mechanism and then have miyagi do be the path forward whereas he totally gets his wings clipped and reverts back to like before season one, where he reverts back to his like antisocial um, hermit personality, where he's like shy and can't look anyone in the eyes. And um, I don't know. I, I I think it was the wrong choice for that portion of the, the character arc, but it wasn't awful. What do you think about my statement? Where if I were to suggest that if you're going to commit to the wings clipping thing, which you're spot on about that. You have to do that with every character that tries to go back to being good. Like, like I can't really accept Robbie Keane going back to being a good guy just because he just chose to. Like, he was right. being a fucking dick. He was being a fucking... He just did the exact same thing that Hawk did, but with a different motivation. Not because he liked the power, but... Well, maybe kind of a little bit, actually. I'm not really sure why he was joining those guys. Because it seemed like his head was in the right place where it was like... You're I'm all being them. fucking ridiculous, and right. there is no right option here. Like, right. Miyagi-Do ain't any better. You guys are all misguided. I'm staying out of the way. And then all of a sudden, he just randomly, inexplicably joins... Like, can we explain his decision to join um, Cobra Kai? Because he, needs, he, he needs was a karate completely dojo. against it. Right, but he was so he was opposed to, to, to Cobra Kai because he was for Miyagi-Do. He had this personal relationship with... Uh, with uh, Ralph Macchio uh, character, whatever his name is. Um, and uh, the th- there's three karate studios that he can join, right? He's part of Miyagi-Do. He gets betrayed by this father figure that he's replaced his father with. He hates his father because of his upbringing. So he, that eliminates that one. So if he wants to continue karate, which he does, and prove something to the adults in his life, the easiest way to do that is to go to Cobra Kai. But he's not a part of Cobra Kai's doctrine. He doesn't believe in their strike first and all this. He's carrying with him all of the teachings that he's picked up from Miyagi-Do. And he's learning from Cobra Kai and using them to harness his own abilities to create his own form of fighting. Um, which isn't necessarily fully Cobra Kai or fully Miyagi-Do. It's, it's him. What causes the transition from him not being willing to join Cobra Kai in the beginning of this season to midway through the season suddenly he's leading the whole thing? Where's the switch? What causes that character decision change? Yeah, because he I was don't... adamantly against it, and then suddenly, Crease is late to a uh, practice, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna teach you how to do Miyagi Do," and everyone's like, "Fuck you!" And then he's just like, "Try to hit me," and then all of a sudden he's just bought in, and I was like, "Wait, what? Why did you just make that decision? Because right. you were telling them to go kick rocks when they asked you to join a couple of times at the end and beginning, of, like the beginning of the season and the end of last season." So I'm not understanding that decision change it's not explained they just make him change his mind and go bad a little bit yeah that's a, i i don't have an explanation there um that's uh like we said an inexplicable um uh, character arc for him and while i do i think i'm fine with where his character has ended up that specific moment could have gotten more development they, they could have used more um it, but, but to me it pushes him into hawk territory where like he's just letting shit get to his head he's just succumbing to the darkness or whatever in, in which case, back to my point, I need to see him get knocked down a peg. I don't want him to just be like, never mind, I don't like this anymore, I want to be a good guy again. No, fuck you. Like, you literally just, like, bullied somebody. Now, I know that you had a little bit of redemption arc going where you were training that young kid, but you turned him into a monster. Like, he's literally, like, the worst of all of you now. You can tell he's, like, pure evil. So, it's like, yeah, I just don't, I don't see redemption for Robbie being acceptable until like he gets knocked down a peg a little bit. I think he's just totally buoyed by the fact that he's one of the better fighters that everyone respects his abilities, that he's received all three forms of training or two, you know, two of the three forms of training and he's, you know, one of the best. And I just, I was okay with Hawk's arc being that he had to get knocked down a peg and learn some humility. But I think Robbie needs to do the same thing for sure. me to accept him going back to good. I'm, sure. I'm going to have a hard time with him just 
flip-flopping his decision-making back because I've so, already seen it once and I didn't like it the first time. So with that, so we, we touch on the next character. Each each season brings us new characters that you know we, we get to know. And this one, uh, the character that they introduce is uh, uh, a young junior high school student uh, who finds himself under uh, Robbie Keane's wing. Um, and if you watch the show, you understand how they get connected. But the reason why this young child wants to join karate is because he is being bullied by uh, a gang of students in his junior high school, of which the youngest LaRusso child is a part of. And so he is personally feeling like he's been targeted by the LaRusso family and joined Cobra Kai. And it's, you know, the, the, the classic Miyagi Dover's Cobra Kai, except for the youngest son is not Cobra, is not a karate fighter. He does not want to learn how to do Miyagi-Do. Um, I don't know. There's a couple of themes that I think that they've replayed a couple times over. I mean, every single new student of Miyagi-Do comes in reluctant to learn it the old-fashioned way and refuses to do it. It's the same shit we see every single time. Like Dimitri, when he joined in season one, he's like, oh, this isn't for me. I get it. I'm painting the fence, but it's dumb. And then he ended up going along with it anyway. I don't understand why we had to watch it all again with the youngest LaRusso kid, with him you know, hiring a labor force to um, do his tasks for him. His storyline felt totally unnecessary other than them trying to turn that other kid into the new bad kid. But here's my problem with that. That kid is tiny as fuck and is not that threatening to other people. Now, if if they had had some, you know, big motherfucker, like, you know, buying into the dark side and learning quickly, yeah, he might be a handful for everybody that's trying to be good. But, like, this kid, like, what's he going to do to, like, the Miguels, the Hawks, the... the, um, Robbies of the world that are like at the top of the game or whatever, you know what I mean? This kid just isn't that imposing. Sure, I mean let's be so let's be clear here. I mean he's he's a junior high school student, but if you're going to talk about imposing, Bruce Lee was like five foot eight and like 130 pounds. So, so you're suggesting that season five is going to be this kid just? I'm just saying you don't need to be big in order to, to to whoop ass, all right? No, but he's also only been training for a few months. Everyone else get a few years on him. Like, sure, it's not. But like the kids he that he's fighting are also junior high school kids, right? I, mean, I guess he did fight Robbie, but. Um, I don't know. I enjoyed that kid's arc. I enjoyed his his revenge. I thought it was uh, good at the end where he like did that like, I'm gonna make next year so miserable for you. And I was like, dang, you look evil. Like I'm kind of for it. Like now I could see him, like when his brother gets out of juvie, and him like you know getting him into Cobra Kai. That kid could be a problem because he's big as fuck. And like right. he learns some karate skills, he could be an issue for everybody. Because karate only takes you so far unless you're Bruce Lee level where you can eliminate the need for or like the value of size. But like. Like that kid could be a real issue when he gets out. So I could see that being a storyline and I'll I'll buy into that. And I'm excited about that for sure. Let's talk about um, the easiest, the biggest problem character in this season. I think you know who I'm going to talk about. Um, Do you know? Terrence. Terrence. (laughs) Terrence, for for those of you who haven't watched and for some reason are still listening. Terry um, Silver. There is a character in this season that is introduced uh he is the villain of karate kid three or four um in which uh ralph macchio decides to join cobra kai they have a new sensei who is one of the co-founders who has been absolutely not involved until this point in the films um anyways he won he takes on the personal training of daniel larusso he's like absolutely insane and tries to kill daniel at some point um and, and most of Daniel LaRusso's um, hatred is towards t- uh, Terry Silver uh, and his version of Cobra Kai, although he also does not like Kreese. Um, now, uh, Terry Silver gets reintroduced in this season. And Brian, why don't you tell us how he gets introduced? Yeah, so apparently from the last time we see him in the old movies uh, till now, he has you know become a successful businessman. He's you know very wealthy, very clearly um, explained by Kreese going to visit him in his introductory scene at his like a party at his like mansion. He's got like a personal butler, and his wife very clearly is like super bougie, and he's just living the high life. He's made it made it rich, John Kreese starts to kind of get into his head a little bit about how his life is kind of a sham to make up for the fact that he, you know, still has this calling to be tied to Cobra Kai. And over the next couple of scenes with 
Terry Silver, we see him like at first he totally turns crease away and like doesn't bat an eyelash. And he's like, like, are you fucking kidding me? What a joke this is. And to be honest with you, I was very excited for that because I am waiting for them to have another realistic character introduced, like that they try to bring in and that person say, I don't give a fuck about children's karate. I've moved on with my life. It's been 40 years or whatever. Like I'm waiting for right. one person to do that. They're not, and it's very clear at this point, they're not going to do that because, right. um, the mom is, is now bought into the storyline and Terry, you know, could have easily been that guy to be like, I'm, I'm rich, dude. I'm not going back to children's karate. I don't care. Right. And, and instead they had him over the next couple of scenes, like do a roundhouse kick on a wine bottle down in this wine cellar and just be like staring off into the distance. Like, Oh my God, I do still love it. Like, Oh my I'm God, it is, it is still inside of me. Yeah. And like, then he goes back to being Cobra Kai's um, like second, like sensei. And he's just so bought into the whole Cobra Kai way from then on. It's it's kind of hard to swallow. And to be honest with you, one of the complaints, I, Jeff and I talked off recording about this, but uh, one of the biggest problems I had in this season was there was a lot of uh, adult karate fighting. And it is hard to watch, in my opinion. It's a little bit cringeworthy to watch Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence like – Doing high kicks and yeah, doing high kicks and holding their poses. When I'm just picturing an adult male just grabbing a dude by his collar and just smashing his face in, like I just don't understand where they're like. And like I get it when it's kids and it's like, you know, teaching them discipline and teaching them technique. But with the adults, it just looks kind of ridiculous when they're doing these little blocks and kicks and shit. And it just, it's it's hard for me to believe. Like when I watch, you know, like when Johnny fights. Like, you know, shows him like in the parking lot, like way back in the beginning and he gets into a brawl with a couple guys. I kind of believe it because he does it more brawl style where like he'll just like, you know, block a wild punch and drill the guy, you know. And I'm like, that's more like brawl style with some karate techniques to help him like, you know, kind of get the advantage like 100%. I'm down for that depiction with the adults because realistically, like the karate shit in the real world, man, like you'd really have to be at a high level for it to apply you know, like in those just like real world fighting situations, in my opinion, I don't think the little kids karate crap would carry that far in the real world. But anyway, and Terry comes in and he's this older guy, but he's still like, you know, apparently he picks right back up where he left off 30, 40 years ago because he and Johnny Lawrence have a karate scene. And like, he has a couple of moments where he's doing karate. Anyway, point is his character was a little tough for me because I was kind of hoping that he would be the guy to be like, kiss my ass bro i am a rich man like that was a naive point of time in my life like who cares about children's karate and instead he was like i care about children's karate and it's like come on dude like and th- and then you see at the end of the season they bring in the dude from the other karate kid from yep. japan or yep. whatever and which I was like, they'd already brought him in in season yeah. three and that was just fine to briefly me. Just and i was like cool cameo like oh it's cool to see that guy back and in, in older or whatever but now he's like yes we will go and defeat cobra kai and i'm like why we will do you defeat care? your high school rival yeah. <laughs> yeah why do you care you're living your life over there you're fine like why like tell me why you give a shit honey like, you think daniel lurso would show up and be like i need you to help me defeat this kid's dojo back in you know, back in the States. LA, back at the Valley. I'll pay for your ticket. It's cool. <laughs> Please, just come back and help me win. Yes. <laughs> we shall do this. I've been waiting for this my oh, entire life. I will drop Honey, everything pack your to bags. go there. Yeah. yeah. I've got it's, nothing else going on. It's so ever. stupid. Like, and, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, I wish they would resolve the storyline with the characters they have instead of continually doing like, this shit. I, I will say, like, season two or season three, whenever they bring Crease in, Bringing in Kreese, they brought him in as this veteran who's got nothing else going on with his life. That's and he fine. takes over. Like I enjoyed and it was his, his rise soul to power. Identity. It was his soul right. identity in adulthood, too. That's right. an important, important but, distinction because all these other people were kids that I can't accept that as adults, they haven't been able to let that shit go. But Kreese right. was an adult when he was going through the original movies. And therefore, I'm like, yeah, he was just misguided from the beginning and has never changed. Right. But I'm sorry, man. Like shit that I was into as a 16, 17 year old, like you know talk to me in 40 years you think i'm gonna give a flying you know yeah whatever about like what's going on with that particular interest anymore i do not care you know yeah um yeah i also did not enjoy terry silver um but i understood why they brought him in right i mean out of all of the characters um he's definitely the one that that daniel larusso you know holds the most grudge against 
And for those of you that have seen the final episodes, if you haven't, stop listening. Um, they set up Terry Silver to be the ultimate villain. I was genuinely hoping that this would be the final season, that they'd be able Me to too. wrap it up in four. Um, unfortunately, given the way that this season has wrapped up, um, they are gearing up for a fifth. Um, with Kreese being in jail for an assault on a former Cobra Kai member known as Manta Ray, uh, who Terry Silver assaulted. Stingray. And then con- Stingray, not Manta. Stingray. Stingray. Uh, who Terry Silver had assaulted and then convinced him to blame Kreese if he wants to join Cobra Kai. Um, so I don't really know. I guess Johnny and Kreese are going to form their own dojo. And uh, we're going to see uh, uh, what's his face, Daniel Larusso, team up with Miyagi's nephew, I think it is, um, who's who's now coming in, flying in, ex- importing in from Japan to teach them the mysterious arts of new Miyagi Do. And uh, I guess I don't know if Silver's going to be acting alone, if they're going to bring in another Cobra Kai veteran somehow. I don't know. I haven't watched all the Karate Kids. Um, but, yeah, so I, I don't really know. I, I'm hoping season five is done. I don't know if I'll have the patience for a season six or how far I'll make they it. They have to wrap season. it up in season five. There's just it's, It would be inexplicable to keep this thing going after that. I like It, it honestly was pretty much to that point after this season. But, um, yeah, the, the problem I'm having, and we've touched on this a little bit off off recording, but off we'll, get into it, we'll get it now off pod. Um, th- there's an an underlying storyline in this season of a bet that the different senseis of the dojos have made, which is whichever dojo wins the all Valley tournament at the end of the season, uh, the other dojos have to seize operations. Meaning like literally the dojo is no longer in existence. If those kids want to continue karate, they basically need to find or like go to the dojo that won or stop doing karate essentially. Spoiler, Cobra Kai wins the entire thing, which means Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang need to stop operations. And yet at the last scene, we see Daniel LaRusso fly to Japan to go recruit this dude who's going to come back. And, and he, it basically, they say, like at the grave of Mr. Miyagi, you like, I need you to come back and help me, you know, defeat Cobra Kai. And the guy's like, uh, like, yes, or whatever. And it's like, hold on a second. There's a major problem with that because you're supposed to be honor and integrity and, you know, doing the right thing. And you literally made this bet to not be a dojo anymore. And now you're going to, like, have an entire season of you as the good dojo, apparently, quote-unquote good dojo, coming back to go totally against your word and destroy this dojo that beat you. I understand that the dude paid the referees, so maybe they're going to bring that to light and Tori's going to go to the good side and be like, Oh, he paid him. So it wasn't a fair bet and blah, blah, blah. But like Daniel LaRusso doesn't know that. And he's already setting up trying to continue operations. And it's like, to me, it's like, dude, you are not a like any better. You're a liar. You know, like how right. can I, like you guys shouldn't have done that with your storyline because now I'm looking at Daniel LaRusso's character as instead of a, like a lawful good character, I'm like, I don't know. I don't see how you're any better. You're just lying. You just okay. you you totally made that bet to screw them over, and when it backfired on you, you're gonna totally re- you know like back out on your end of the bargain. It's just it's gonna be a hard one for me to swallow. Like depending on what they do with it, you know. Or, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. No. I mean, I, we definitely talked about that before. I mean, uh, it's it's an interesting choice. I mean, at that point, you're no better than Cobra Kai, right? If you 100%. were never planning on, if you were never planning on abiding by your word, then how could you expect them to abide by theirs and yep. then be, you know, uh, indignified when they, uh, you know, welch? Um, yeah. I think ultimately it was stupid. I also think, you know, the the All Valley could have been handled in a different way. Um, I I I don't know. I thought the entire point of them having Miguel get injured in the second to last fight uh, and then run off to go find his dad and blame his injury and poor performance on the fact that he doesn't know who he is. Weird. And why do I get the sense that his dad's going to be some kind of karate master? <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> but given the tone of this show, I'm going to be Now saying. you will learn the ways of Mexican karate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is yeah. funny. Yeah, it's a fair point. Like, what is his dad's relevance to the show? I don't, I don't like, know. Like, we're just going to get one scene where his dad's like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, yeah. I'm your son. Cool. Like, yeah. 
You I do don't karate? Know. That's stupid. We used to play football when I was your age. You know what I mean? Like, or is yeah. his dad going to somehow be tied to the scene? Like, I just, his, I, I don't know. I feel like his dad's some kind of criminal element or something that He's teach him some hood fighting and and Johnny's going to have to sacrifice himself or do something. I don't know. Let's let's jump into there. Let's let's wrap this up by saying, what are your predictions for season five? Assuming that it is the final season, um, let's go character by character, and how do you think each one's going to going to end up? Uh, a prediction um, for season five, uh, Johnny Crease, uh, John Crease, Crease and Johnny Lawrence are, like you said, going to team up. LaRusso and the Miyagi's nephew are going to team up. I think they're going to be at odds at first, but it seems like they kind of have a, a little bit of a momentum towards bridging that gap. Uh, but their, their main objective is going to be the same, which is like taking down Cobra Kai. Uh-huh. Uh, Cobra Kai's got the deep pockets. They've got some, you know, some villainous fighters or whatever that are just bad character, you know, bullies or whatever. Um, but Lawrence and Crease are going to have Robbie. Uh, I think Miguel's going to maybe either go there or be with Miyagi Do and the current champion um, Hawk. But either way, like all the momentum is going to lead towards some kind of final confrontation with Cobra Kai where they drive out Terry and have redemption arcs for Crease and right. Whoever. And then either cho- probably choose to have Cobra Kai down forever. Um, so in this season, we do see that the two, Eagle Fang and, and Miyagi-Do, cooperate at least part of the time. And we see the influence of the two different fighting styles impact the students and some of the loyalties to, to come into effect. Like we see that LaRusso's daughter starts to favor the more aggressive st- fighting style. Well, it's more of a balance, right? Because they're all attack and Miyagi-Do all about counterattacking and defense. So like the two of them together is a very advantageous style a combination because it really balances out. So I, I think that that's – Do you think it's that gonna Sam – It's going to be the theme. Go do you ahead. think that Sam's going to take instruction from – uh, Lawrence and Crease at some point. I think they're all going to end up uniting as like one united front because that's the whole point, right? I mean, the biggest like shit sandwich we had to eat in season four was, wait, you're telling me you, you two grown ass men that are all about coming together and figuring this out can't figure out that your styles need to be blended? Like, why are you guys trying to bend each other to your will? Like, I, like it was such a weird, outdated premise. Like, they they couldn't get past that. It was like kind of pathetic for their characters. Right, kind of hard to stomach the whole time, and um, I think at the end of this season was Larusso and Johnny realizing, oh, our styles actually complement each other really well. We just need to stop being big heads and embrace that our style isn't infallible or, or like yeah. watertight. You know, there's more. To I, this. I will say, Larusso, Daniel Larusso specifically, has definitely regressed a lot from season one. Yeah. He started off as this put together guy, and, and where he's ended up at season four, he is. <laughs> he's not <laughs> heading for character improvement. He's heading yeah. away from it. Although that last scene was him showing him, like, you know, the willingness to just accept that, like, it seems like there's something else developing, a new style that's a hybrid of the two. Kreese yeah. had a very similar moment. Where he was like, hey, do your own thing in this final. Don't worry about all this bullshit. Just go do your thing. And so it was showing me that Kreese is going to be able to do that, you know, bridge those differences or like come around and be flexible. So there's probably going to be some bullshit for a few episodes where the four, you know, adults dither about how they're all going to fit together. But the point is, is they were kind of laying the building blocks of them all accepting something new, you know, some new hybrid style uh, that's a combination of all of their <clears> – <throat> Uh, styles. So before we move on, I, I do have one question to ask you, and I don't know if you know the answer to it. Who the fuck owns Cobra Kai, right? Like, how do these people just constantly walk in and just take ownership of something? Like, Silver now owns it? Is there a deed to the land? It's Someone pretty has stupid, to, like... because cause technically speaking, when Johnny started it, if we're talking about real world, that's a great right. question. Johnny had to have gotten a business license to operate. And Chris just walked in and, and, and started just operating. walked in and just started paying the bills, like, or is he ignoring I, that? And it's just going like to Johnny collections for Johnny, like, yeah, like I don't understand, Johnny. Your name is on all that shit. You know what I mean? Did you take right. any and, kind and of small business loans to assuming like assuming that Chris, assuming that Chris gets out of prison some point during season five and does is allowed to 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 mentor. Um, Right? There's, how come Silver could just continue to run the business as the same name? Why wouldn't yeah. someone? You think the guy to... that owns the uh, the, the the strip rights. mall would be like, "Yo, who the fuck are you? And where's Johnny Lawrence? He owes me money. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Oh, I'm just the guy paying you now. Okay, this is the third time this has happened. I'm starting to see a red flag here. You know what I mean? Like, 
Like, yeah, that's a great question. Like, it, it doesn't work like that in the real world where you can just supplant a guy and then just start paying bills under his name or, like, replace his name with yours, like, by scratching it out on the pink slip. Like, it doesn't work that way, you know? Like, it's it's uh, hilarious. It's a great point. Like, Kreese taking over Cobra Kai was fucking ridiculous. Someone has to own the again. name. Someone yeah. has to own the name. Um, all right, I'm going to try and see if I can segue this. So part of the reason why we watched Cobra Kai in the first place is because we learned who Johnny Lawrence was, really, from one of our favorite shows, How I Met Your Mother, uh, which wrapped up back in 2012, 2013, I would say. I think it was 2012. Um, it was 2013. Anyway, uh, and starting tomorrow night, they are rebooting or continuing the franchise with a sequel known as How I Met Your Father. Uh, with some key differences. The protagonist is no longer a male. It is now a female. It is, um, uh, you said her name earlier. Um, what is the actress's name? Uh, Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff. That is correct. Uh, Hillary Duff is the female protagonist looking for love in, I believe it's still New York City. Uh, she is now accompanying by five friends instead of four. The original dynamic was uh, three men and two women. And this one is now three men and three women. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics there. What are your hopes for this new show? I This is tough because I absolutely love How I Met Your Mother, the original series. And to be honest with you, I didn't even mind the ending. I think a lot of diehard fans give the ending a hard time. And I'm like, dude, was it really that big of a deal? Because even in season nine... There are hysterical episodes. There are really funny premises. Like, I totally right. understand the whole thing about, you know, only getting to know the mom for a couple of episodes. I totally get it. Like, I, and I had a thought about the same thing at the beginning of that was like, hold on, is this chick dying? Like, are you fucking serious after nine seasons of trying to figure out who she is and you're going to kill her off in one season? Um, however, honestly, like, I don't, like, I watched that show for the hysterical, like, enclosed storylines of each episode. And they deliver on that all the way through to the end. I think they're super funny. Like the overarching storyline of his wife, I would argue, is less important than just them being able to deliver that consistency from episode to episode. And so that's what I'm hoping for in this as well. I care less about how she actually meets the father and more about them giving me a consistent show from episode to episode. Right. I think that's important uh, more so than you know, like the premise of how it worked out with the father or whatever. Although I'm, I'm going to guess that they'll probably have a stronger, you know, may, maybe I should knock on wood on this, but I'm going to guess they're going to have a long, uh, a stronger uh, storyline there than they did with how I met your mother. Cause I'm guessing they probably learned their lesson about, you know, playing with the storyline in that way. They took some liberties there and, and it didn't pan out great uh, with audiences. So hopefully they just give it some kind of decent storyline on how she met him. And, uh, and like I said, they just have consistent, funny and close storylines from episode to episode. So I will say having looked at the cast, you know, being interested, there is one key person that I don't see on this cast. I don't see anyone here that I, that I can expect without having seen it can replace the stardom that was Neil Patrick Harris. I, I think that Neil Patrick Harris's role was easily one that we all enjoyed a lot while he is, I will say <laughs> highly, highly misogynistic. Um, there are plenty of times where even without his misogynistic role, he is still able to be hilarious. For example, there's a point where one of the characters is is giving birth and he comes walking into the room with some gummy bears and goes, I just bought gummy bears and two bags fell out. This is the best thing that's happened all day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, super funny. And he's just got a bunch of – the way he interplays and the way that he acts is hilarious. They have massive musical numbers built around his ability to perform. And I don't know if this show, if this current cast, I'm waiting for one of them, hopefully one of them, to stand out in the same way that Neil Patrick Harris stands out. He is going to be the hardest person to match up to, 100%. I think that's a great take. I, you know, I will say, you know, going back to, God, I don't even know when How I Met Your Mother started. 2005. 2005. Like, how big were those guys? I know Neil Patrick Harris was recognizable, but was, wasn't that his biggest role to date? I mean, or had he been in some big stuff? I know everyone sees him I as mean, the child doctor, but... Like, Starship Troopers, uh, Doogie Howser. 
Yeah, I guess. I you like think, you think you think that him starting on How I Met Your Mother was how he got his big break. You're killing me. No, but I think by the time the show ended, it was his biggest role. Definitely, he was most recognizable for his right. role at and that so, point. So, because no, of the I'm not, of the I'm not show. arguing that him landing that you know pilot episode was the biggest defining moment of his career. But by the time the show ended, it ended up being one of his most recognizable right. things. So what I'm arguing is there's an opportunity, especially with the foundation that's been built in this series for uh, someone else to step up and sure. fill those shoes that we just don't know about, you know, their skills yet. Now it is scary because it's hard to picture somebody being as capable as him. I mean, he is hysterical episode in and episode out, man. He is so funny. I will say this, uh, the second most difficult to replace in my opinion is going to be, uh, the Robin Trubosky character. I think Colby Smolders is wildly talented as well. And she mm-hmm. really played a great role of being like, all over the board with her comedy. Like, I think there were points where she was the more serious character in the group. And then there were other points where she was totally fucking out of her gourd. And like, she delivered on both. You know what I mean? There's total episodes where she's like, are you guys fucking serious right now? And then there's other episodes where she's like stalking, you know, Barney or or Ted or whoever it is, like, and going crazy with the therapist. Like that whole therapist storyline where she's dating that guy is fucking hilarious. Like, he's like, you guys are absolutely out of your minds. And they're all looking at him like, I don't understand. And then they show like a montage of like the slap bet and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think that she complimented Barney well, and I think they're going to be two very difficult characters to uh, match up with. Um, and, and, and there's, it's, it's worth saying, I don't think it's avoidable that this show is going to be compared directly to how I met your mother season in and season out. It, they they yep. got a tall order here to deliver on what, what we've come to expect from this franchise. <clears throat> Absolutely. I will say the one character that I, that I am excited to see having, you know, being a red edge group in that age group, as I grew up, Josh Peck is on the cast. I see that he is on the cast list for this show. He's not marketed as one of the primary six characters in the friend group, but he is on cast for all 10 episodes. Um, wow. So potentially, you know, he's, he's probably the biggest name there besides Hillary Duff, um, that I recognize at least, uh, so I'm excited for that. Um, and I will say this, as, as, as skeptical as I am that they're going to be able to recreate the, 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 dy- the dynamics that we love seeing on screen, the things that made How I Met Your Mother so memorable isn't always the acting. It really is the writing. It's the storylines that they are able to interweave into each episode, like the pineapple episode. Would have been just as hilarious if you had a completely different cast. It doesn't necessarily have to be Josh Radnor or, or uh, fuck, I can't remember the actor's name that, that plays Marshall Erickson, uh, or Marshall's actor Jason, delivering Jason those. Jason Seagal. Jason Seagal, thank you. It doesn't have to be those actors delivering those looks. It's any actor could step in and do those roles, and that scene would be hilarious because that writing is fucking great. Um, oh, they have a couple of, uh, of ones. So honestly, they probably could get away with any cast, like the Blitz episode yeah. or the Naked Man. Oh, my gosh, are those good episodes. And it's all so, writing. So you're right and on that. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this is not the same Hollywood trend of reusing old material. Right? right now, I actually literally had this conversation with our mother yesterday where something just came out. And she was like, didn't that just happen Oh, she saw a trailer on Amazon Prime for Jack Ryan. And she goes, or for Jack Reacher. And she goes, is this, isn't there an Amazon show for Jack Ryan? And I was like, there is. That's that's um, uh, the, the guy from The Office. God, I'm terrible at remembering names right now. Peter Krasinski? Something Krasinski. John. John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Um, that's John Krasinski, different book series. But this is a remake of the Tom Cruise movie franchise, Jack Reacher, same characters, same book franchises. I don't know if it's the same book specifically, but it's about a military police detective. Um, and while I do, I'm interested in watching that show, it is 100% an IP that we have already seen. And right now there's this massive trend over the last 15 years in Hollywood to not come up with original ideas and instead find something that has already been done on visual media and make it again in some new way. And I really hope that this is not a piss poor rendition of the original How I Met Your Mother. I don't think that this movie, this show could be so bad to tarnish the history of the old one. I love it too much. Um, but, you know, it'd be a shame for them to, the, to make this sequel and for me not to watch it because it's that bad. Something I hope they address, and I don't think they're going to do it. Because we've seen the formula work with Friends and with How I Met Your Mother. But something I hope they address is how ridiculous it is that they're all living in these dope-ass apartments. 
in New York City with their fucking jobs. Like, there's no way. There's no way you're going to tell me that uh, Marshall, who doesn't have a... Uh, I don't think he's working a job while he's going through law school in most of the seasons. Right. Or in most of the early seasons. And Josh Radnor, who is a starving architect in the beginning, and they barely touch on his work. They barely show them doing any work. Like, you're going to tell me they can afford that swanky-ass apartment in New York? Like, downtown New York. Like, like it is a pretty decent location from what I can tell. Although I don't know New York that great, I guess. Um, it is 100% grade A bullshit that they could afford an apartment like that. Right. And so, like, it's going to drive me crazy. Like, it, I think they're going to do it. I, I think, just being realistic, they're going to do it. Where they're going to put them back in some, you know, good-looking apartment with just mediocre jobs. And it's... I, it's not that important. Friends did the same thing where they had these like crazy sprawling apartments with a starving actor and Joey and Rachel, who was the freaking wait- waitress at the coffee shop. And but apparently they can afford these crazy apartments. I mean, I, I'm sure it's coming again. That was, but part that of was it, the it's 90s. Gonna kind of grind my gears. I think in episode that, one, if we see that, that was the '90s. Rents have like sextupled since then. So um, if not more, yeah. So uh, I'll be interested to see how they approach that because. Like, think about this. You're trying to connect with a young audience. You're trying to connect with people in their 20s on this show, right? Wouldn't you say that's their target audience? 20s yeah. and 30s, maybe? Yep. Is that fair? Probably mid-20s, yeah. A bunch of people who are not going to take well to watching somebody with a shit-ass job in a nice apartment. It's Because it's going to scream total bullshit. Don't you right. think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll still enjoy it, even if they don't address it. Um, I, don't, I don't watch these shows for an extreme level of realism, but if they do draw a point of them struggling financially and yet never struggling to make rent, um, it would be strange. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's not going to be a huge fixation on it, but it's just like, that's something that I saw in friends a lot. And that's something I saw in how I met your mother the whole time where I was just like, Oh my God, it almost takes me out of it in a way to just like watch these people. Not like, so that I can't connect with their like their lack of a struggle. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm hurting personally, but I think if I was trying to live their lifestyle, it would not be possible. So it's hard to accept on screen, in a way. Sure. You know, but I mean that's a pretty small thing to focus on there. Overall, I'd like to see how the characters play with each other because in How I Met Your Mother, take any two of those characters, and there's probably a notable like a couple of times in the show where the two of them had something going on together or a storyline together that was, that not only landed, but was funny. You know what I mean? Like, like literally pick any two characters and let's see if we can do this. Right. Obviously the relationships of Robin and Ted, we don't need to dwell on There's tons of stuff about them. Barney and, and Robin, same thing. Like the most challenging ones would be like, you know, uh, Barney and uh, what's red's name. Lily? Lily or Marshall and Robin. I think Marshall and Robin even have a full episode where he's like, oh, there's the uh, the one where it's the mermaid theory. Mermaid theory is a hysterical episode and Marshall starts to see her as a mermaid or whatever because he sees her right. as a walrus. Um, Barney and Lily, it's the whole pregnancy thing, right? Where isn't he, isn't right. he like doing like the magic trick on her belly and he's like, Woo! you know what right. I'm talking about? Um, so it'll be interesting to see because I, I would argue that those were episodes where they were really even testing those connections to see how well they could play off each other when they're two characters that don't have a whole lot of standalone moments. Right. And they still were great. In this one, I don't know how all these characters are going to fit together. Obviously, no one does because we haven't seen it yet. But I'm really hoping that they're strong enough to, right. to make it entertaining regardless of who's on screen. I mean, I don't want to touch on this too much longer because we are running on to what our considered, you know, our, our runtime for our episode is. But I will say one of the things that they explore, the writers, if they did bring back the same ones or choose to follow some of the same themes as the original show, um, is the concept of breakups. Every single relationship that we see on screen breaks up, uh, ends at some point. Uh, wow, that's true. Anyway, um, and with this cast being three men and three girls, we won't have the same dynamic of, you know, a Barney and Ted competing for Robin. We'll see, you know, potentially a lot of interdating where these three will date against these three. I have no doubt that we'll probably see one permanent couple like a Lillian Marshall who won't interdate with anyone else in the group. But there's still, you know, two women and two men that have the potential of breaking up and, and dating each other. What do you think about them not doing any dating within the group. Would you prefer that? Or do you think it was better for the How I Met Your Mother to have dating within the group? I mean, there's definitely a lot of funny episodes that involved around their love for Robin, their obsession with Robin. Um, 
But it was also kind of weird for her to be like, like, and they had to do it with all of her later relationships that were outside of the group where they had to address the fact that she's hanging out with two of her ex-boyfriends. Right. You know what I mean? And it was like always this weird thing between Ted and Barney where it was like, like, how cool can you guys actually be when Barney's marrying a chick that you were literally like sleeping with for an entire year and you're still admittingly in love with like every couple of seasons, right? Like right back to the same storyline of like, no, I still love her. I still love her. Like how could Barney marry her and have you be there? Like less than... Like less than a year before they get married, they're they're both drunkenly competing outside of her window to try and like get her attention. Yeah, um, and like in like dude during the whole wedding storyline, like there's this weird thing between Ted and Robin. Like, I just don't know if I can watch all that again and just accept that that's totally normal. Like it was fucking right. bizarre the first time. It was just acceptable because it was like, all right, for the sake of this show and the storyline you've spun, keep it funny and I'll, I'll ride with it. But watching that twice, I'd be like, really, we're doing this again? You know? Yeah. Is that fair? Again. That's fair. That's fair. I'm kind of hoping we'll that none of them of date each other. I'm kind of hoping none of them date each other. And then it's just like five different people figuring it out six. together. So, sorry. Six different people figuring it out together instead of them all banging each other and then figuring out how to make that work. Because it's just like, that's not realistic to me. You know, like right. how often I think is it's that unlikely. I think it's unlikely. I think we will see a permanent couple. And I think we will see between the, the remaining four, uh, some interdating between them. Um, it just makes for a more intriguing storyline, I guess. I mean, I, what, so what we are seeing, one of the things that I did notice going through the old cast is is the old cast wasn't necessarily diverse, right? I mean, they're all heteronormative, they're all, they're all white, people. white, <laughs> white people, and I mean, although some of them behave bisexually at, some, at times, um, I will say that uh, I wouldn't be opposed to them exploring more. Consistent. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they chose to explore some non-heteronormative. They already have to have racial diversity in their casting. I was going to say, I see, I'm looking at a picture of the group. I see a white guy, a white woman, um, and then definitely some, oh, another white guy. And then everyone else looks like they have some kind of... Um, right, racial diversity. Know, racial diversity, which is great. And but with you know, that, I totally I'm guessing... What you're saying about their, their sexual preferences too. They could totally I'm, I'm guessing that. that, yeah, that I'm guessing they won't all be heteronormative. I'm guessing we might see a gay male or, or a lesbian female or polyamorous or... Which or, would be great because it definitely was something that uh, How I Met Your Mother would have benefited from. And I think they have, you know, gay people feature on the show in one-off episodes that are totally created, like used as like a gay joke. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, if you had someone that's a little bit more of a staple character... Um, yeah. That you can kind of explore what that life is like for them. Um, I think it would totally be a more well-rounded storyline for sure. I agree. So touching back, uh, another segue. God, I'm good at this. Uh, touching back on the concept of uh, Hollywood reusing old ideas. We're going to segue now into our recommendation section. Um, I watched a Netflix show. I don't know exactly when it came out. A Netflix movie. It's a remake of an old 2000s film, and I'm going to ask Brian about it. Brian, have you ever seen the movie She's All That? Uh, yes, I think so. It's been a long can time. You tell me, can you tell me anything about it? Um, let me look up the cover first, just to remind myself. <laughs> the cover on the uh, Wikipedia page? Uh, no, I have not seen this movie. So you do know the plot of this movie because you have seen Not Another Teen Movie. So this is the, the ultimate high school drama that gets made fun of when you think about high school dramas. The plot of this film is two best friends, jock bullies that run the school, uh, get into a bit. The, the, the main character gets broken up with, and uh, he was had this uh, big plot to be homecoming queen and date the homecoming queen. Uh, she breaks up with him publicly and he decides that he makes a bet with his best friend that he can turn anyone in the school into the homecoming queen that she was only going to be the homecoming queen because of her connection to him and so his best friend being a dick um picks what is considered the ugliest girl in the school uh and bet and so this guy now starts spending time with her gets all of her attention and uh convinces her to go to prom and uh turns her into a homecoming queen only for the best friend to reveal that he is not his friend and turn to the girl and reveal to the girl that this was all a bet only for the protagonist to be able to convince her that it's all okay anyway. And I don't remember if she wins homecoming queen or not, but um, that's not the point of the film. Everything's all right. They fall in love. Um, The best friend is Paul Walker. Um, The protagonist, I don't, I don't know what else he's been in. I didn't recognize him, but, uh, this film is made fun of for a number of reasons. It's, you know, obviously cheesy high school drama that no one cares about. 
but also it's the worst offender as far as having like 30 plus year olds play high school students. Right. There's, there's multiple scenes where like the two best friends, Paul Walker and the protagonist are like shirtless, ripped 30 year old men ridiculous, (laughs) running around a soccer field. Uh, Yeah. Super funny. And this is what, you know, other high school satire films have made fun of. This is the central storyline that uh, not another high school uh, teenage movie or whatever the yeah. movie's called with Chris Evans is making fun of. Um, yeah. So for some reason, this this was a hit film when it did come out. Netflix decided to remake this film. And except they decided to gender swap. So the protagonist is a female who is dating a uh, rap star. And she is a Instagram influencer who catches him cheating while live on Instagram and makes a bet with her shitty best friend to pick the loserest guy in school and turn him into prom king instead. And they pick Robbie Keane, um, who is a hipster, old school photographer who's not on social media. He's got an old Nokia cell phone. Um, And they fall in love and turn him into the prom king only to find out that her best friend's not her best friend and her whole life crumbles and reveals, you know, that he's not. Anyway, don't watch this film. This is not a recommendation. <laughs> don't watch uh, it. All that to don't say, watch don't the, ever put this on. <laughs> don't watch the original either. There's only like one or two redeeming scenes in the original. Um, for the most part, it is also trash, but I, I'll tell you that I watched it for you and that was enough viewers <laughs> uh, having seen this film. Uh I have more recommendations, but I don't know if you want to break up the monotony by going back and forth or. Um, don't watch The Bachelor. <laughs> uh, it's just more of the same. If, if you've seen it before and like it, then you're fine because it's just consistent, same shit, just fabricated drama. Um, other than that, for me, uh, not a ton. Um, Ink Master still wildly entertaining. Um, I've mentioned it a few times, so I'll just do another uh, quick plug for that one. Uh, Netflix, just great little time waster. That's you know cool to see like the skills that people have in tattooing and some of the drama that they can have because a lot of those people have you know don't have the strongest social skills, uh, you know, and I'm sure they gravitate towards that industry where it's more about your art and you know slapping some cool shit on someone's body versus you know developing strong social skills like those those people clash for like any and no reason at all because they all have kind of like punk rock attitudes and anyway can't take constructive criticism so um yeah i mean that's kind of it from me uh so if you get another uh i do recommendation recommendation or two go ahead and hit them before we uh sign off i do i will say leading off the recommendations list uh i watched a netflix film called the harder they fall came out a couple months back uh, it is a western set with a uh, predominantly black cast uh, trying to tell the stories of black cowboys, essentially. There, there's this you know, discrimination when it comes to Hollywood of not representing the black side of stories. And there is this historical truth that a lot of the cowboys of the wild, wild west were African-American and they don't get the same screen time as the non-African-American ones. So they decided to tell some of those stories. And this is a phenomenal Western. It reminds me just like uh, Django and even, you know, like the, the, the soundtrack of using modern rap to great effectiveness, just like um, uh, Black Panther. Um, I loved the soundtrack. I loved the score. The acting is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's got some of the most predominant black actors in Hollywood today. Idris Elba leads up the villain of the villainous gang uh, known as Russ Buck and the Russ Buck gang. Um he is seconded by uh, what was the woman that played uh, Watchmen, uh, the the protagonist from the new Watchmen HBO show. Uh, I don't know her name off the top of my head. I will look it up. Idris Elba is seconded up by uh, uh, the actress that played Angela Abar from the the HBO Watchmen TV show, Regina right. King. Um, the uh, the gang that is hunting down the Russ Buck gang is uh, the Nat Love gang. Nat Love played by uh, the protagonist, Jonathan Majors, uh, the same one that uh, we saw him at the end of Loki um, as uh, as King the Conqueror, his first introduction to that. Uh, yeah, I believe he was also in another HBO, the Lovecraft show, I think was also Jonathan Majors. Um, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of powerful performances, a lot of good uh, interposition with uh, the music um, and the acting. I really enjoyed that. 
Another film I would not recommend, but I did watch on Netflix, was called The Colony. Uh, it's about humans spoiling the Earth and choosing to create an ark out in space. And so all the rich people leave Earth and leave everyone else behind to die. And then a couple hundred years later, they find out that the human race uh, went out in Earth. Their TH levels drop down to the point where they can't have kids anymore. So they have to, re- they have to go back to Earth to repopulate. And the only people left on Earth are savages. Um, and so they go back to try and figure out is if they revisit Earth, can they repopulate? And uh, they find a not so uh, hospitable uh, people remain. And uh, I didn't enjoy this film very much. It was okay. Um, then I watched Moneyball. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill play um, Billy. Billy. God, I'm all over the place with names today. What is Brian? What is the Oakland A's uh, general manager's Billy name? Billy Bean. Billy Bean. Thank you, Billy Bean. Uh, and his introduction into the concept of Moneyball, which is this game theory about. Uh, building your team around specific stats instead of intuition and scout performances. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, very insightful to the game of baseball. If you're a fan of baseball and haven't seen it yet for some reason, then I recommend you watch it. You got, I got to say this. Uh, Jonah Hill, he has had some diverse roles, man. And I'm not just talking about the guy's weight because, like, obviously that flex- <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking a shot at him and not in any way. I actually respect everything that he's gone through, but – like I'm not talking about his body changes at all. His diversity of roles has been pretty remarkable. And to think about the different um, types of roles he's taken on and the different people that he's like um, co-starred with. Like he's one of those guys that fits cleanly into the uh, this is how it ends comedy group, right? Like everyone in that movie is just a bunch of comedians, a bunch of dudes that got their own films, but you know, very few of them are like true superstars versus, you know, like you got, um, oh, now I'm going to start doing it with the names. Uh, what's the guy who owns the house? Uh, James Franco, mm-hmm. I would say has hit some true stardom. Um, uh, what's big boy uh, with the beard? Uh, oh, Craig Robinson? Uh, not Craig Robinson. Oh, <laughs> the oh, other big Danny. boy with the beard. No, 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 Danny. not Danny McBride. No, uh, <laughs> the guy that's in uh, the, the one of the main characters, so the, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Oh, I, I would say he has true superstardom. Um, but man, Jonah Hill, like he has really had some cool stuff. Like he's in uh, Wolf of Wall Street, counterpart to uh, Leo DiCaprio, and I would say he's the second biggest character in that movie. Uh, Moneyball, obviously, counterpart to Brad Pitt. Uh, he's in Don't Look Up with with Leo again, like, you know, re- very recently here on Netflix. He delivers in all these roles, like, in a way that, like, I have zero complaints about that guy. Like, I think he brings it every time he's on screen. Um, Jonah Hill, man, that guy is, uh, I think, an undersung superstar. I think he's pretty he's impressive. Good. He's good. I mean, even when he's, you know, acting completely fucking ridiculously, I mean, the guy delivers an entire monologue about having an addiction to drawing dicks, and he says it with a straight face. It's oh, my hysterical. God. It's super bad. Opposite Mike Sarah, man. He is, he kills it, man. And that was a and really then, early role for me. He's a young dude in that, and he's, yeah. he's just... If you've also seen him, if you've also cold. seen him in uh, in, in uh, what War Dogs, War yeah, the the one with um, he was great in that dude, Miles, Miles Teller. Miles Teller yeah. He was great in that. Like he plays an incredible character in that. Like yeah. he literally pops off the screen every time he's on it in that one. And like he's yeah. just, I don't give a fuck. I'll shoot your ass attitude. Like it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> when he laughs like that, dude. <laughs> I gotta rewatch that movie. Uh, let's see. So what else have I been watching? I started watching Tokyo Ghoul. It's a pretty popular anime. If you're a fan of anime, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, interesting concept. It's about this whole sub-society of people that are uh, eat humans to stay alive, and they have superpowers. And this main character was getting eaten when an accident happened, and the ghoul that was eating him died, and they used the, rem- the remnants of her body to keep him alive, and so he is half ghoul, um, which is very rare for the society, and he becomes kind of a novelty and a focus of it. Um, still cranking away at JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I am now on part five of six. Uh, working my way through that as well. Um, interesting concept. This newest part is about an Italian mafioso and uh, them trying to climb the ranks of the criminal underground. Um, 
I also picked up on New Girl. I realized there was a newest season that I have not seen, and I also realized I don't remember much about season five anyway. So I started picking up about halfway through season five, uh, and I'm rewatching that and I'm enjoying that. New Girl never fails to deliver. Definitely enjoy uh, Schmidt's performances the most, um, although the rest of the characters are also hysterical. Um, from a book perspective, I am working my way through one of the last Cosmere-related books. I am about a third of the way through Elantris, um, which is an interesting book series, interesting magic system. Again, Brandon Sanderson is unparalleled in my mind. Um, and I did just start today a new Dark Souls 3 run-through with a good friend of mine, and we are going to play it to completion, hopefully. So I will eventually be able to say I've checked that one off my list for like the fifth or sixth time. But yeah, hopefully I can play the rest of the Soulsborne games with him after we complete this one. Uh, I think that wraps up all of my recommendations and I yeah don't have anything else. Um, Next week, Tyler and Brian are going to dedicate an entire hour talking about all of their favorite things about me and all of their favorite stories. So definitely tune in for that one. Um, And I will just be here to confirm its historical accuracy. Yeah, that's definitely Uh, not going to happen. (laughs) Um, And I would boycott any episode where that's the topic. Uh, all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you listen to the whole thing. Um, next week, I'm sure Tyler will be back on. And uh, yeah, we'll have a new topic for you. Hopefully we can announce it later in the week once we decide what it's going to be. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.